Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful to be able to proclaim this morning with the resounding chorus all around the globe and even in that heavenly realm that Jesus lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, so also does every single human being who has ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so, Lord, today, through your word, by your spirit, transform us by the renewing of our minds. Speak to our hearts. Make us different. Make us more like Jesus. So that when we leave this place, the light of Christ shines more brightly through us than ever before. And our region is changed. We ask it trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Easter again. Easter's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Right now, churches all around the world are in as big a way as they possibly can, proclaiming the news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Individual believers are greeting one another with greetings, saying things like, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we have brothers and sisters all around the world who are celebrating this morning. I even got on Twitter and like Jesus was trending on Twitter this morning. That's really something. I'm thankful that we have a God who speaks into our current moment, aren't you? And I'm thankful that we have a God who calls us to look at Easter as a big deal. But have you ever wondered why? Why is it that on this day we put on bright colors that our, you know, wives and moms pick out for us to put on? Why is it that we put these things on to gather in the house of the Lord and say, Jesus lives? Well, God tells us in his word. Now, this is not our text for the day, but he tells us how important it is that we understand the message of Easter in the pen of the apostle Paul as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, just listen to what Paul wrote to a bunch of people who had been challenged by a teaching that said there was no resurrection from the dead. God disagreed, and he compelled Paul to write these words. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Listen to this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now those are serious words. That if Jesus did not rise from the grave, and if he does not give us hope that outlasts our own grave, then Paul says we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, we are of every person in the world the most pitiful people on the planet. Not only because if that's true, then we're wasting an hour of our Sunday morning right now when we could be at brunch. Not only that, but If the best hope that we have through the message of Jesus is just hope for right now, then Paul says, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, that's not much hope at all. Now, of course, Jesus makes our life on this earth better. At Christmas, we celebrate that he gives us hope 
and peace and joy and love. And those are vitally important things. But I don't know about you, I'm finding that our experience on this earth goes by quicker than we thought it would. And suddenly we're faced with the reality of the beyond. This morning at 6.30 in the morning, I was standing with a group of people just right next to a cemetery for a sunrise service. If you've never been to a sunrise service looking out over a cemetery, I would encourage you to go at some point. It will change your life. Changed mine many years ago and shook me yet again this morning. We were in a place where, frankly, most of the people had been before, but under vastly different circumstances. They weren't there celebrating the joy of Easter Sunday that previous time. No, they were there seeking to figure out how they wrapped their mind and their heart around bidding farewell to somebody they loved. And yet this morning, in that place, looking out over what most of us would call the most desolate of places, a cemetery, we had gathered to look for hope. Well, how in the world do you find hope in a place of such sorrow and such sadness and such despair? How do you find hope Next to a cemetery, Easter answers that question for us. Look with me at Mark chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. If you are in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 853. But I want to give us this theme today. Jesus arose triumphantly. Jesus arose triumphantly. John Mark is writing this account of the resurrection as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, and he tells us this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The first point I want to give us this morning is this. Jesus arose triumphantly as the Lord of life. Jesus arose triumphantly as the Lord of life. Now, I want you to think about the experience these women had. They had last seen Jesus on Friday. We call it Good Friday. They didn't. They had seen their Lord to whom they had given their lives and for whom they had committed all of themselves to trust him and to follow him. They had seen him reduced to a bloody pulp. Prophet Isaiah said he was marred beyond human recognition. He didn't look like a person anymore. And though the disciples scattered, these women stayed And they followed him as they took him down from the cross and they laid him in this borrowed tomb, a new tomb, a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And they watched 
as the one to whom they had given their lives was wrapped in a linen shroud and, and placed in the tomb. And then they watched the large stone being rolled against the entrance of the tomb. And then they had to go because it was time for the Sabbath, and they couldn't care for his body the way they so longed to do. They had to go home, and they had to wait. But they saw the place where he was laid. They saw the state of his body. They saw the reality of the cross, and they went home. Many of you know something like this feeling because you've been there. You've been seated under the tent at the graveside. And you know if you're seated under the tent at the graveside, it's close. And you've heard the preacher finish whatever he was going to say, and, and then you've seen the funeral director come up and start handing out flowers, whispering, that concludes our service. If you all will step away, we'll get everything taken care of. And so you do, you leave. You face the impossible task of walking away from that piece of ground and getting back in your car and going somewhere, usually in this region, to try to eat something. And then you go back. And you go back to make sure that the flowers are placed just right. You go back to make sure that everything is just as it should be because you're not done caring for this person yet. You go back. These women just wanted to go back because they weren't done caring for Jesus yet. They, they had more that needed to happen to care for the one that they loved so much. But they couldn't yet because it was the Sabbath. It, it was prohibited. They couldn't go back. They had to wait. So as soon as they could, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went back, and they went back with spices to anoint the body of their Lord to, to care for him one more time. And when they got there, they were perplexed. They were alarmed. They were confused. The stone had been rolled away, and there in the place where their Savior should be was a man in dazzling bright white saying, you've come looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He has risen just as he told you he would. Well, can you imagine the emotional state, the mental state, the spiritual state of these women in this moment? How do you wrap your mind around this? They're still struggling with the reality that happened on Friday. Now on Sunday, his body is missing and an angel is telling you he's alive. What do you do? You flee because you've about had enough. You just can't take it anymore. What is this? They had forgotten, as had all the disciples, that Jesus is the Lord of life. John told us in his gospel, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, when he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And listen to this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In Jesus was true, eternal, spiritual life. From the moment he entered human history through the womb of the Virgin Mary, in him was life, and that life shined brightly as light to all who would look to see. 
When Burks was baptized just a moment ago, what did we do? It's a tradition that has lived long in this church, long before I ever got here. We gave him a candle to, to symbolize the light of Jesus Christ that now shines in him and through him. And he carried that candle out as a symbol that as he leaves those baptismal waters, the light of Christ should shine through him and should be a blessing to everyone because in Jesus is life. He is the living one. He is the living God in flesh. But he didn't stop there. Because when Lazarus had died, you remember Lazarus, his close friend Lazarus. Lazarus got sick. Jesus waited. Lazarus died. Jesus went. When Jesus arrived, Mary and Martha were brokenhearted. Mary stayed back, wouldn't go see him. Martha went and said, where were you? If you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. Finally, he looks at her and says something deeply meaningful. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Not only does Jesus have life within him, he's willing to share. He's willing to share to anyone who will come to him. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and I will give that life to you. Full life, abundant life, eternal life. This is where the message of Easter becomes vitally important to you and me. I want to invite you to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're in the Pew Bible, that's page 961. And I want to give you four or five verses from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 24. We're going to see why Easter is such a big deal. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, says this. Remember, he had just said that if Christ is not raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the next verse. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. The second point today is this. Jesus arose triumphantly as the firstborn from the dead. Jesus arose triumphantly as the firstborn from the dead. Now, I'm going to tell you something that may stretch you a little bit, but I want you to know Every bit of this comes from the Bible. This is not Pastor Jeff making up a good story. Who cares what I think or what I can make up? But I want to tell you that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've been as bold as Burks to say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, I trust you, and I will follow you, everything I'm about to tell you is true for you. And it's not because I say so, it's because God has said so through his word. If you are not in Christ, this is not true for you yet. But if you'll surrender yourself to Jesus, whose arms are open to receive you, 
If you'll turn away from your sin and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you, and I'll follow you. Then in that instant, everything I'm about to share becomes true for you. Jesus welcomes all people to follow him and to have this reality. Romans 8, 11 says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So let me tell you what's going to happen if you're in Christ and your life on this earth comes to an end. Immediately, at your death, your spirit will go to be with the Lord. Again, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to the church at Philippi that his desire was to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Jesus looked at the thief next to him dying on the cross and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so we get that in this part of the world. We understand that. This is the Bible Belt. Your grandmother told you that, right? That if you're in Christ at the moment of your death, you go home to be with the Lord. And, but we think it stops there. And honestly, if you want the preacher to confess a little bit this morning, throughout my life I've thought, that's going to get boring after a while. Now, I know you've never thought that. I'm the only heathen in the room. Just ask my mother. <clears throat> but I thought, you know, just floating around on clouds. I mean, I love to be with Jesus and, you know, all those sorts of things. But, but do you know that that is what theologians call the intermediate state? There is a final state that is coming that will be ushered in when Christ returns. When Christ returns, here's what happens. This is John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Heaven is a lot more physical than you think it's going to be because it's not just a heavenly realm. It's a new heavens. It's a new earth, and it will be ushered in when Christ returns. Let me tell you how the Bible describes what's going to happen. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, you might have heard of your grave described as your final resting place. Can I give you some hope this morning? In Jesus Christ, it isn't. It's a temporary resting place where your body will go while your spirit is with the Lord. And when you return, whether you were buried or cremated or buried at sea or what, when Christ returns, you will be raised. And you will have a physical resurrection body. 
patterned after the physical resurrection body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we know about Jesus' resurrection body? You couldn't tell that he had been beaten to a pulp anymore. In fact, the only scars that remained were in his hands, in his feet, and in his side, the trophies of what he did to win you and me. And his scars, Miss Sandra, as Casting Crown so beautifully sings, will be the only scars in heaven. For the rest of us, when we are raised, we will have no scar, no stain of sin or suffering or sorrow. We will be raised and we will be whole and we will be healthy and we will be vibrant and we will be strong. You say, will we eat? Well, Jesus ate fish. How about that? You ever seen Casper the Friendly Ghost? He can't eat. So we don't come back as ghosts. No, we are raised. Our spirits joined with our bodies. And listen, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? If you're in Christ, that's what's going to happen to you. Your mortal body will be raised immortal. Your perishable body will be raised imperishable. If you're like me, you got up this morning and you looked at the perishable in the mirror. And how many of you have found that it's perishing quickly? (laughs) Things are changing. I love these glasses because they cover up the crow's feet that are emerging around my eyes in my sideburns that I've had since the seventh grade. I shaved them off one time for a girlfriend who didn't like them. Then she dumped me and I grew them back. (laughs) But the thing I don't like about the sideburns right now is occasionally out of nowhere, without my even suspecting anything, the longest, gnarliest gray hair will just sprout out. Does that happen to you? Now listen, I thought about going and getting some of that just for men, you know, but I'm afraid I won't match it right, and it'll look like I've got shoe polish on the side of my head. I don't know. Our bodies are mortal. They're perishable. That's that's a function of living in a sin-fallen world. God designed us to live with Him, and our first parents chose otherwise. He gave them one rule. Don't eat from that tree. Well, what tree can we eat from? Every other tree. Just don't eat from that one. What's the one they ate from? That one. And death entered the picture immediately. And mortality entered the picture. And we became perishable. And the proof of it's in our mirrors in the morning. We became perishable. But there is a moment that is coming when all who are in Christ will be called forth from their graves and they will be raised. We will be raised and we will be vibrant and whole and complete. Dr. Patton, I don't know what you're going to do. We don't need new joints in heaven. 
Those of you who are physicians and in the health field, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have some free time, Dr. Reed. It's going to be beautiful. Dr. Frazier and Dr. Frazier and Dr. Frazier and all the other Dr. Frazier's. We got a lot of Dr. Frazier here. Dr. Welch, this is a good place to get sick, just in case you're unaware. This, we're covered here, all right? We got some great physicians here, Dr. Gray. It's, it's, I don't know what we're going to do. They don't need people to preach the gospel. I hope they still need people to teach the Bible, but I'm not even holding on to that because we'll be with the Lord. And here's what I know. It'll be great. And I know what's going through your mind. You're going, I wonder if there'll be. Here's what I know. God didn't give us every answer to those questions, but we will not be in any way disappointed with the reality of glory. In fact, do you know what the Bible says? This is Romans 8, 18. I like to read these things to you so that you don't think I'm making them up. This is all straight Bible. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your suffering now is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you. Let me read to you just a couple of verses of what's coming. This is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Remember, if you're in Christ... This is coming for you. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you're in Christ, that's what's coming for you. That's the future for you. If you're not in Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. Is that straightforward enough? Not because God's mean, but because he gave us the standard, and he said, if you break the standard, you're separated from me, and you bear the weight of your own sin. Well, Adam and Eve broke the, weight of their, broke the standard of God and bore the weight of their sin, and you and I can choose, having broken the standard of God, to bear our own sin. That's called hell. But God through Christ, opens his arms. And if I can put it in south-central Kentucky vernacular, he says, y'all come. Come to me. And so this morning, the question for you is this, what awaits you? Heaven or hell? The choice is yours. You can come to Christ and accept the price of your sin being paid for on an old rugged cross, or you can bear it yourself. I'm begging you not to bear it yourself. If you come to Christ, all your sin will be forgiven, washed away from you, separated from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. You will be made clean, made new. You will be adopted by God's grace into his family, and you will be called a child of God. All because you turned away from your sin and said, Lord Jesus, Jesus,
I believe you're the Son of God who died for my sin, and I received the payment you made for me on the cross. I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to trusting and following you. And in an instant, your destiny will be changed. And everything we just read from God's Word about the glory of what is to come that far surpasses any suffering you've ever endured will be true for you. Let me tell you something. I appreciate hope for a moment. I really do. I like it when something happens that makes me more hopeful right now. I appreciate when the news line, the headlines, they, they don't do it often, but they, they give us some good news. Don't you appreciate it when there's a little bit of good news? In a war-torn world, when there's a little bit of good news, don't you appreciate that? I appreciate it when people share good things on their social media feed. I'm seeing less and less of that. But here's what I know. The best hope the world can offer us here is temporary. It will pass. The hope that God offers us through Jesus Christ lasts forever and can never be taken away from us because in Christ we can never be taken away from him. Tomorrow I will stand in a cemetery yet again. It's part of what I do. And with my Bible open to the 23rd Psalm after reading it, I will say, inasmuch as it has pleased Almighty God to receive unto himself the spirit of our dear sister in Christ, we commit her body to the ground. But then I'll say this. But we do so in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection unto eternal life that awaits everyone who is found in Jesus Christ. We walk out of that place Grieving, yes. Devastated, of course. Impossibly facing the challenge of forming a new normal, yes. But not without hope. For the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ says, because he lives, so do all who trust and follow him. What about you today? Father, we love you. And we thank you for the eternal hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray for every person who is participating in this service that we would look to Jesus with the eyes of faith, believing the cross, believing the resurrection, receiving Jesus as our Lord, and living eternally in him.